Andrew Womack Ministries presents this message titled, The True Gospel. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. You know, the Lord called me to be a teacher to the body of Christ, and for a long time, I had trouble with that because I wanted to be everything else. Amen. I don't know why that is, but it seems like people that are called to be pastors would always like to be a traveling ministry or something, or traveling ministries would like to be a pastor. It seems like you always want to be something that you aren't. But you know, we've seen a lot of miracles. I pray for people. We've seen a lot of things happen. But the Lord really called me to be a teacher. And I can operate in miracles and operate in a lot of different things as an individual in the body of Christ, as a believer. But the real thing that God anointed me to do is to teach. And as I was pastoring these three little churches that I pastored uh, at one time, you know, I really began to recognize I could go in and minister to people. I could see miracles happen. I could see things happen. But I'd come back next year and those same people would need the same thing all over again. And it just really began to get to me and the Lord showed me the importance of the teaching ministry. Uh, it's not everything. We need all of the different ministries, but really it is super important that you get taught the Word of God because eventually you need to grow up to a place to where you don't have to wait on somebody to come through town or go to a pastor or ask somebody else to be doing your believing for you. The Bible says that he gave these gifts to the body of Christ, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastors, and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ until we all come into the unity of the faith and measure up to the stature of the fullness of Christ Jesus. And the Lord desires that each one of us begin to grow up and mature. And brothers and sisters, there's a lot of people in the body of Christ that just haven't been growing. And it's not God's fault. Amen. It's our fault that we aren't getting into the Word of God. So anyway, I'm just saying that to prep you tonight, that this teaching ministry, the gift of being able to teach and share the Word of God with you, I believe it's something that God desires to share with this group. I've been traveling and ministering a lot, and I really see that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is not clearly understood among most believers. It really isn't. And we began to share on that last night out of Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Paul said he wasn't afraid of, uh, ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it's the power of God unto salvation. And the word salvation here means more than just forgiveness of sins. It's talking about everything that was purchased for you through the Lord Jesus Christ. This is talking about your healing, about your deliverance, about your prosperity, about your relationship with the Lord, relationship with other people, anything that the Lord desires to accomplish in your life, the power that accomplishes that is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are many of you who are born again, you know that you're born again, and yet you don't have power operating in your life to produce the things that you need. Now that's a... That ought to be a, something that shouldn't exist in the body of Christ, but it does exist. There's lots of people who believe God is their answer, and yet, as far as experience goes, they aren't seeing that answer manifest in their life any more than the person that doesn't believe that God is their answer. Many Christians believe that God heals them, and they're just as sick as the people who don't even believe that God heals them. Many people believe that it's God's will to prosper you, and yet, as far as prosperity goes, there is no more prosperity manifest in some believers' lives than there is unbelievers' lives. And brothers and sisters, if we say that we've got all of this available to us through the Lord Jesus Christ, then there should be more, ex more evidence of it in our lives. And one of the biggest reasons right here, the Bible says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And we have not really been operating in the gospel. As I travel around and minister, this is something that I see in, in all of these different places, that people are not really operating in what the New Testament calls the gospel. 
and we begin to expose that last night, I'm going to try and keep from reteaching this, amen, but it's good. If you missed that, you need to get last night's tape. But we started defining what the gospel was. Basically, the gospel is not bad news, it's good news. It's not telling you that you are lost and going to hell and that because you've sinned, God is angry with you. That is the truth before you get born again, but it's not the gospel. That's not good news, amen? The good news is that in spite of who you are, God loves you anyway, and the grace of God has extended everything that God is and everything that God has is available to you free of charge, not based on your performance, but it's totally through Jesus, and all you have to do is receive it by faith. That's what Paul was preaching. In Galatians chapter 1, he made a statement over there that if anybody preaches any other gospel unto you than that which we've preached, let him be accursed. And then he repeated it. And he said, I marvel that you're so soon removed from the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ unto another gospel, which really isn't another, but it's a perversion. And we have, we've had Satan infiltrate the church and a lot of the teaching in the church, and a lot of us are actually perverted in the gospel. It is not a true, pure gospel, and that's the reason there isn't any more power operating in our lives than what the Lord said. In uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 16 again, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So the end results of the gospel, understanding the gospel, the grace of the Lord Jesus. And again, Acts chapter 20, verse 24, interchanges the word gospel and grace. And it does the same thing um, in Galatians chapter 1, I believe it's verse 6. It does the same thing. So the, the grace of God and the gospel are the same thing. And the end result of understanding the grace of God is that you'll begin to have a righteousness with God that you've never had before. Now, righteousness is a term that we've made a religious term, and many of us don't understand what it's talking about, but righteousness in a very simple layman type of terminology is just right standing with God. It's the ability to fellowship with God without any fear of rebuke or separation. Amen? Boy, y'all are looking at me strange. You know, when you go to talking about things like this, people think, who cares? They think, you know, what does it matter? I don't care anything about righteousness. That doesn't apply to me. It does apply to us, brothers and sisters. This is the foundation of everything. You know, in the, in the beginning, man sinned against God. And because of sin, there was this separation between God and man. And the whole plan of redemption is once again to bring man back into relationship with God. That's the whole purpose of redemption. Did you know that the Lord did not come primarily... I'm, trying, I'm choosing my words carefully. Listen to what I'm saying. Don't choke on this. But the Lord did not come primarily to deal with your sin. That was not the purpose of redemption. The Lord did not come primarily to forgive your sin. The Lord came primarily to restore relationship with God. He created us for fellowship, for a relationship with God. Did you know you were created for that? That's what God made you for. This is the reason that the world is so out of kelter and, it, and that everything's going wrong is because they're trying to find fulfillment and true peace and joy in money and in success and in all of these other things that may satisfy you very temporarily. But God made you for fellowship. There's a God-shaped vacuum on the inside of each one of us. And the only thing that can fill it is God. Nothing else can fill it. That's the whole plan of redemption. Man has been seeking after God. And Jesus came to bring us back into harmony with God. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 
that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. And the word reconcile means to bring back into harmony or to make friendly again. It's like a strings on a guitar. You reconcile them to each other. You bring them into harmony to where it doesn't sound out of tune, but instead it, it makes a, a melody, a harmony. The Lord came to bring us back into relationship with God. And the scriptural term for that is righteousness, right standing with God to where we are once again like Adam and Eve that we can fellowship with God without any fear, without any rejection. Did you know that that ought to be the goal of every single Christian is fellowship with God? And brothers and sisters, most of us have been preoccupied with trying to be holy and with trying to not sin. Did you know you may not put it in this terminology, but most Christians' goal in their life, the thing that you spend most of your effort about, is how to keep from sinning? Most of you, actually, the, the goal of your life is to reach a place to where you're holy and separated unto God. Did you know that that basically has been the message of the church? And did you know that that is not the message of the Bible? <laughs> Got some of y'all's attention with that one. <laughs> Well, brother, are you saying that we're supposed to live in sin? Like I had this man back here ask me tonight, what do you do with the scripture in Romans 6, 1? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid that's not what I'm saying. I'm not encouraging sin. I'm just saying that that is not supposed to be the focus of your life. The Lord didn't come so that if you would accept him, he would clean your life up and help you to keep, not, uh, keep from sinning, get you to where you don't sin. That was not the purpose of Jesus coming, was to set you free from sin. The purpose of Jesus coming was to bring you into fellowship with God. And to do that, he had to deal with sin. So the Lord did deal with sin. Jesus did die for our sins, and he did make a payment for our sin, and sin has been dealt with. But that is not the focal point of Christianity. Let me rephrase that. That should not be the focal point of Christianity. It really has been. The church is obsessed with sin. The church is obsessed with telling you how to get rid of sin. And did you know that if you don't do all of these things that they tell you not to do, then it's kind of understood that if you'll just get rid of the sin, fellowship with God will be the automatic result. But brothers and sisters, it's not like that. You know, you don't get rid of the dark in this room by driving the dark out. You don't shovel the dark out. What you do is turn on the light. You focus your attention on turning on the light, and the light drives the dark out. You can't shovel the dark out of a room. You can't shovel the sin and the corruption out of your life. It needs to be pushed out as you begin to focus on the life of God and what Jesus really came to do in our life. As we begin to experience the life of God, it's the life of God that drives the sin and the carnality out of our life. You know, when I first heard about the baptism of the Holy Ghost, people used to uh, make these statements all the time that God won't fill a dirty vessel. And one of the, I heard this uh, person teach on how to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and this is back when I was seeking it. And they said, make a sin list. List every sin that you've ever done. Write down every rotten thing that you've ever done. And I mean, here I was, a relatively good kid. I'd been raised in religion all of my life, and I never had murdered anybody or done any of those kind of things. But did you know I made the front and the back of a piece of paper and had to ask for another piece of paper, amen? I was running out of room to list all the rotten things in my life. And the thinking behind that was that if you would see how much of a sinner you are and if you will turn from your sin, then you'll get broken and God will come fill you. And I tried that. And brothers and sisters, it didn't work. 
You know, the only thing that broke the dominion of sin in my life was when I quit focusing on my sin and quit trying to live to a place where I wouldn't sin anymore, and instead I called out to God, and it was the life of God coming into me that broke the hold of sin over me. You don't have to get free from your sin to receive the Holy Ghost. That's the reason you need the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Ghost will come into your life and begin to free you from sin and set you free from all of these kind of things. I'm not encouraging sin, but I'm saying you'll be more effective. You'll live a holier life accidentally in union with God than you ever did on your own on purpose. Amen. You'll wind up serving God more accidentally once the life of God begins to flow in you than you ever did before on purpose. We've been focusing on how can I get clean, and oh God, if I'll be clean, then I know you're going to fellowship with me. No, that's totally wrong. The truth of the matter is you can't get clean enough in your own self for God to fellowship with you. It's a gift. Righteousness is a gift. The gospel is a gift. That's the reason it's good news. Did you know if you had to earn relationship with God, that would not be good news? Look over in Romans chapter 5. Boy, there's so many scriptures to share this from. It's just, boy, it's hard to contain yourself. My mind's racing a thousand times faster than my mind can talk on this. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, and in Romans, the whole book of Romans is written to explain this point about righteousness with God, right standing with God, fellowship with God is a gift that comes by faith, not through you earning it. The fourth chapter talks about Abraham, and it says, how was Abraham justified in the sight of God? Was it because Abraham was a mighty holy man? You'll hear some people teach that, but did you know if you really look at the word of God, Abraham was a louse, <laughs> amen? Abraham would have made Jim Baker look like kindergarten stuff. That's the truth. You think what Jim Baker did was bad? Abraham was willing to let a man commit adultery with his wife so that he could save his own neck. Abraham was a scoundrel in a lot of ways. And he didn't do it once, he did it twice. Abraham had some serious problems, brothers and sisters. And yet, did you know God used him mightily? You know, David, we look at these people and, and we try and put them... Somehow or another on a pedestal. We do the same thing in our society today. We look for heroes. We look for role models. And we put these people on these pedestals. And did you know that inevitably they're going to fall off of those pedestals? But the Bible makes it so clear. I mean, the Bible lists the negative traits of these people just as well as the positives. Did you know David was a man that loved God? He had some good things in his life. But he committed adultery with a woman that was married and then he murdered the woman's husband to try and cover up his adultery. Did you know if uh, somebody was to do that today, I guarantee you, man, we would write them off as, man, that person hadn't got any business ministering to me. He's not nothing to offer me. That man's a sinner. David sinned in big ways, and yet did you know God used him mightily, made promises to him, and the promises weren't voided by his sin. And that was under a covenant that where sin was imputed and held against them. What we've got is a better covenant. And on and on, you could go down the road. Did you know that Abraham, if Leviticus chapter 18 would have been written in Abraham's day, did you know that Abraham, according to the law, should have been stoned to death? because he married a half-sister, which the Bible says was an abomination in the sight of God. Leviticus 18 says it's an abomination to marry a half-sister. Did you know if the law would have been written, Abraham would have been stoned to death? 
Did you know that Jacob married two sisters while the sisters were still alive, which was an abomination according to Leviticus chapter 18. He should have been stoned to death, and yet Jacob wrestled with God and prevailed, and God blessed him in a mighty way, and he went on to become uh, the Israel spoken of in the Bible. It's tremendous. Did you know that a lot of the people in the Bible would have been stoned to death if God would have been dealing with them just according to their sins? If you really look at it, there's a tremendous amount of mercy in the Bible. And this is what the Bible's teaching right here. How was Abraham justified? Was it after he received the covenant of circumcision? Was it, was it when he was doing everything right? The Bible says, no, he was justified in the sight of God 13 years before he ever acted on the covenant, circumcised his child before he was circumcised himself. 13 years he was justified totally by faith. And then it makes all this promise. It goes back to Psalms chapter 32 and quotes from David where David said in prophecy, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin, not just did not impute sin or does not, but will not, even future tense. Boy, I wish I could explain that one. Most people don't have a, con a concept of that, but... David prophesied, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. And the whole fourth chapter of the book of Romans is written about that, establishing justification by faith, not through what you do. It's a gift of God. All you got to do is believe in the goodness of God and you are justified, declared righteous in the sight of God. And then he says in chapter 5, verse 1, the conclusion of all of this is, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How can you have peace with God? Did you know you may not put this terminology on it, but that's what every person here desires. You desire a relationship with God. Every last one of you have had God intervene in your life in a special way. Every last one of you believe in the existence of God. You believe that God's real. You believe that there's a relationship to where you can literally communicate with God and you have a desire to communicate with Him more. If I was to ask you for a show of hands tonight, I don't believe there's a person here, if you're in your right mind, that would say, man, I got everything that I want. I couldn't experience any more of God if I wanted to. Every last one of us desires to know the Lord more. We desire to experience Him more. Every one of us, you may put different words on it, but every one of us is really wanting peace in our relationship with the Lord where we know that God accepts us and that God's pleased with us. And yet, did you know that there are very few Christians that if you were to be honest, would believe that you're at a level that really is good. Every last one of us, if you were to grade yourself, would, would uh, measure yourself and we'd come up short and we'd feel uh, bad about our relationship. Very few people really experience what they desire. And Satan takes that very thing and uses it against us and he'll just beat you to death with it. Did you know the people who get condemned the most the people who are the most condemned are not the murderers and the adulterers, etc. You know who they are? They're Christians, people that love God. Because the people that love God the most are the easiest condemned when they see that they fail God. The people who don't love God really don't care that much. The people who are trying to ignore that there is a God aren't that convicted about sinning against God. But the people who love God the most, those are the ones that the devil preys on. And I mean, he takes every failure in your life and just makes you feel, man, how could God love you? You're such a sorry, no count, no good. And sin is having dominion over believers. Sin is keeping us from experiencing this peace. And the scripture here is saying that being justified by faith. 
we have peace with God. That's basically the gospel. The gospel teaches justification, and the word justified literally means declared free from the guilt and penalty attached to grievous sins. Many Christians will accept that I'm declared free from the penalty that God isn't going to send me to hell, but they still go around their entire life carrying the guilt of their sin. They don't feel worthy or accepted in the sight of God. The Bible says that it's declared free from the guilt and penalty attached to grievous sins. A little layman's definition of the word justified, it means just as if I'd never sinned. Amen. It's an easy way to remember it. It's just as if I'd never sinned. No more conscience of sin. Can y'all believe that? Amen. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1 says, If the Old Testament sacrifices could have worked, then they'd have ceased to be offered because the worshipers once purged should have no more conscience of sin. Of course, the Old Testament sacrifices couldn't work because they were only pictures and types, but it goes on in that chapter to reveal that Jesus' sacrifice for sin did work. Did you know if you really understand the gospel, you can reach a place where in your relationship with God you have no more conscience of sin, no more awareness of sin. Some of you, this is terrifying you. Because, man, how do I relate to God? I mean, what keeps me in line? What makes me serve God? The only reason I serve God is because I'm afraid that if I don't seek Him, I'm going to go live in sin. Did you know a fear of sin? The whole Christian life basically revolves around sin, not around Jesus. <laughs> That's not right, brothers and sisters. Now, I am not saying that sin is something to be scoffed at, but I'm saying that the Lord so set us free from sin that we should have peace with God. When we understand being justified by faith, we have peace with God, and most Christians are not experiencing their peace with God because they don't understand justification by grace. Instead, we are trying to earn and perform our way into the good graces of God, and that's not the way that it is. Amen? Praise the Lord. Turn over to Romans chapter 9. I tell you, the book of Romans is a powerful book. wish we had time just to teach all the way through the book of Romans. Look in Romans chapter 9. And in verse um, 30, Paul said, What shall we say then? that the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have obtained to righteousness even the righteousness which is of faith. Now see, here's the same principle that I'm talking about. The Gentiles who weren't seeking righteousness, in other words, they weren't religious, they weren't zealous, they weren't trying to be morally good. The Gentiles were basically going their own way and they obtained the righteousness which is of God by faith. They didn't even seek it. And then he goes on in verse 31, But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. You know, this is strange. This is saying that some people who basically didn't have any good morality to lay to their credit, some people who had virtually no good track record are more justified in the sight of God than many people who have been working their fingers to the bone to be righteous and to be good. Now that sounds like a contradiction. And you know, religious people, this just does not compute. Amen. This is not the way we've been taught. I mean, after all, why am I studying the Bible? Why do I pray? You know why most people go to church? It's to impress God. It's to obtain the favor of God. Now you wouldn't put it in that terminology, but most people have it as a duty. 
Most people go to church as a duty. It's something that I owe God. And then, see, like when after you've gone to church, after you've paid your tithes, after you study the Word, after you pray, after you do these kind of things, then you kind of expect God owes you one. So when you go to Him in prayer, you expect to get it. Why? Well, because I did this. Now, y'all don't look at me in that holy, sanctimonious attitude. I've had hundreds, if not thousands, of people come up to me in the prayer line and they'll say, Brother, pray for me. I don't understand why God hasn't healed me. I've fasted, I've prayed, I've studied the Word, I go to church, I pay my time. I've done all of these things. Why hadn't God healed me? You just told me why God didn't heal you because you didn't tell me about what Jesus did for you. You told me about what you've been doing for Jesus. Your faith was in you. Your faith was in your actions. You expected God to move in your life because God see what I've done did you know that that is a perversion of the gospel? That is not the gospel. That isn't pointing to Jesus as the sole justification of God moving in our life, but we've fallen into this mentality that, God, you need to move in my life because I've done all of these things for you. If any of you ever feel like, man, God, this isn't fair. How come I'm being treated this way? I've been faithful. I've served you. Did you know what you're saying? You've taken your eyes off of a Savior and you somehow or another are earning these things from God. Brothers and sisters, that is not the gospel. See, this is what the Jews fell into. They were working their fingers to the bone. The scribes and the Pharisees were holy people. I mean, they were living a holy life. But did you know that they didn't have peace with God? You know, the thing that really sets true Christianity apart from every other religion is not just the fact that we are zealous of good works, that we're moral, that we're any of these things. Did you know that mo uh, Muslims are zealous of good works? Did you know that they're holy? Did you know that most Muslims are holier than you are? Did you know that it's punishable by death? Did That divorce is punishable by death in a Muslim country? You get stuck in front of a firing squad and shot to death if you divorce. Did you know that most Muslims will not allow American films, the stuff that you let your little kids watch, most Muslims will not allow them into their country because they are filth? Did you know that their standard of holiness beats Christianity's standard of holiness? Did you know that they are actually more zealous and more dedicated to it than most Christians, the average Joe Blow Christian? I mean, if you're just going to look at it from the carnal standpoint, there are other religions of the world that have as high a standard of uh, morality and that fulfill it better than we do. If that's what Christianity is, then we failed. Christianity is not just our set of rules versus their set of rules. Christianity, the thing that distinguishes it is that instead of preaching what you must do to work your way to God, the good news of the gospel is that God himself came down here knowing that man was completely incapable of ever redeeming himself. You were impotent. There was no way that we could ever save ourselves. So God himself became a man and took our sin, died for it, paid for all sin, and ushered us right into the very presence of God. We have a Savior. We're the only religion on the face of the earth that has a Savior. Every other religion, you have to be your own Savior. It's according to how well you act. Now, did you know that basically Christianity preaches that for the initial born-again experience, but as soon as you get born again, you go right back into this old perversion of you've got to work your way to God. And most people come to church working their way, earning something from God. Most people study the Word to earn something from God. Has anybody ever asked you, how much do you pray? 
You know, I had a guy that travels with Larry Lee, and I love this guy. He's a friend of mine. I've taken him on a camping trip. I like this guy, all right. I'm not against him. But he travels and does these prayer seminars. And one of the first things he did when he met me was, how much time do you spend in prayer every day? Have you all ever asked that or been asked that? Let me ask you, what is the benefit of asking a question like that? Do you know the only benefit to a question like that is so that he can compare himself with me and see how he measures up? To see how he's doing? That's the only purpose of it. There's no other purpose. He wanted to know whether he was doing okay. Do you know that this is constantly what religion is doing? religion is constantly sizing themselves up and looking at other people and we glory in seeing somebody else fail because then, boy, it makes us look better. Brothers and sisters, did you know that if you get a real revelation of union with Christ and a revelation of walking with Jesus, how can you say that I pray X number of hours a day? If you were to ask me how much time I've spent with Jamie today, I couldn't tell you. I've spent all day with her. I didn't sit down and have an hour with Jamie today. I've had all day with her. I walk with God all day. I wake up in the middle of the night praying. I dream talking to the Lord. How can you put an hour on it? How can you say, I spent this much time? Now, there may be some time that you get so intent in one area that you'll do that, but I mean to make a, a ritual out of it. Again, I know I'm stepping on somebody's religion by saying this, but it's okay if you do it as a discipline. If you do it to say, look, I know I need to be in the presence of God and I have a tendency to get occupied with other things, so I'm just going to set aside this time and I'm going to have a special time with God. I don't have to do it. God will love me the same if I don't do it. It's not for God's benefit, it's for my benefit. I'm going to discipline myself and just make myself do it because it helps me. If that's your attitude behind it, fine. Spend five hours in prayer every day. There's no problem. But the moment it becomes a debt to you that you begin to feel like, oh God, I missed my daily time with you today. God, forgive me. The moment it becomes a sin because you haven't spent time in the presence of God, you're missing out on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. God does not demand that of you. It ought to be something that you are doing as a voluntary, uh, voluntary thing to be in the presence of God. Amen. Boy, y'all are looking at me strange. <laughs> Praise God. Some of you may think I'm trying to get you to where you don't serve God, where you don't seek God, where you go out and live in sin. That's not it at all. I'm trying to say, that though, that we get caught up in the form and we miss God. I think I use this example here, but I've, I've got a Bible study uh, thing where I read through the Bible at least once a year, parts of it twice, and sometimes I'll read through four times a year. And did you know that because of that, that's a lot of chapters a day, and if I, if I miss a day, well, then I find myself sometimes having to read 15 or 20 chapters one day to get caught up. And I actually, I sat down one day, and this, I don't know how many years ago this has been, but it's been a while ago, and I was, I... <laughs> sat down and asked the Lord to speak to me as I read the Word, the way I always do. And as I got to reading, boy, I read across something, and all of a sudden a scripture just jumped out at me. I had a thought that I've never had before, and God began to start opening some things to me through the Word, and I just kind of kicked back and closed the Bible and got to thinking about that and let God speak to me, and all of a sudden I, I had the thought come back, I got 15 more chapters to read. And I... <laughs> 
sell that thought. And I went back to reading the Word. And you know, as I read a few verses, the Lord spoke to me and He said, What are you doing? I said, I'm reading the Word. And He said, Why? I said, Well, so you could speak to me. And then he got quiet, and I sat down, and as I put it all together, you know, I was asking God to speak to me. He spoke to me, and basically I said, God, don't bother me now. I'm reading the Word, amen. How dare God interrupt my Bible study? I mean, God interrupted me while I was studying the Word. Brothers and sisters, the only purpose for studying the Word is for communion with God, and if God speaks to you on the first verse, chuck the rest, amen. But we get so caught up in, I've got to read, if I don't read my daily Bible readings, man, I've sinned against God. Did you know if you never read the Bible, God loves you exactly the same? God doesn't love you more or less according to how you read the Bible. But you will love God more or less depending on whether you study it or not. The Word of God changes you, but it doesn't make God love you anymore. We've somehow or another got it in our mind that I've got to study the Word to make God love me and to be pleased. I can't expect God to answer my prayers if I'm not reading the Word. Well, why not? Well, because I haven't done something. Well, see, there you go. Your faith has changed from a Savior to where it's back on you. And there, that's the reason that we don't have any peace with God. All Satan's got to do, the Bible says Satan is the accuser of the brethren. In Revelation chapter 12, all Satan's got to do is start pointing out to you failures in your life. And don't be deceived, there's not a person in here that doesn't have failures in his life. You know, if I would just let the devil, the devil would rake me over the coals with all the failures in my life. I guarantee you Gary's got failures in his life. He's not perfect yet. Ask Marilyn. Amen. <laughs> None of us in here are perfect. There's not a one of you that's perfect. Paul said after all those years in Philippians 3, I believe verse 13, he says, I count not myself to have apprehended. Paul still wasn't perfect. None of us have got it all together. And the devil will come and start trying to point out your sins to you. And if you don't understand that sin is not an issue between you and God, God dealt with your sin through the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't understand that, you will trip over that sin every time. And you will put everything on hold until you can overcome these sins and then's when you're going to expect God to really move in your life. You'll never obtain that place until you go to be with the Lord. You'll never get to a place to where you're totally void of any type of sin in your life. Somebody might be thinking now, brother, wait a minute. You don't know. I don't dip or cuss or chew or go with those that do. Well, according to James chapter 4, verse 17, the Bible says, to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. Sin is not only what you're doing that's wrong, but sin is what you should be doing that God's revealed to you and that you aren't doing yet. Husbands, there's not a one of you in here that loves his wife the way that Christ loves the church, and yet Ephesians 5 says to do it. Wives, there's not a one of you in here that reverences your husband as the church is supposed to reverence Christ, and yet you're commanded to do it. Every last one of us is failing in some areas. There are areas that we're failing. And as long as you maintain this thought that, man, I've got to get my act together, I've got to be right before God moves in my life, you are going to stop yourself from ever experiencing this righteousness with God. See, this is what Paul was saying here in Romans chapter 9. He says there were people who were living an ungodly life that weren't even seeking after God, and yet they obtained to righteousness with God. Then there were others that were religious and doing everything they could, and they were missing right standing with God. And he goes on in verse... 32, and he says, why? Because they sought it not, sought righteousness, not by faith, but as it was by the works of the law. 
You know why some people experience real relationship with God and others miss it? It's not because some are living holy and some aren't. It's because some obtained it by faith. Others are trying to earn relationship with God. Others are trying to earn the blessing and the fellowship of God. And brothers and sisters, if you're trying to earn God's blessing in your life, I can promise you that you have no peace. You have no peace and you are not obtaining to the thing that you're seeking after. The only people in here that can really claim that, praise God, I have a great relationship with the Lord, it's people who've learned how to be strong in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. They've learned that, Father, it's not me, and it's not what I've done. It's rather who you are. It's people that have learned to trust in the Lord Jesus, and their righteousness, their sole claim to right standing with God is Jesus and what he's done, not your own righteousness. Did you know once you learn that truth, man, it breaks... Satan's hold over your life because then Satan can come to you and all Satan can do he's the accuser of the brethren he'll come and condemn you over things that he made happen in your life amen he'll put a thought into you and then turn around and condemn you you sorry thing why'd you think that it wasn't even your thought it's the devil's thought and then he'll turn around and condemn you over it did you know once you understand that it's grace then when Satan begins to condemn you you'll say praise God for Jesus and your attention will go right back to Jesus. And he'll say, but wait a minute, what about you? Look how you are. Well, praise God that I am not in right standing with God through what I do, but I've got a Savior. And you'll put your attention back on Jesus. And you just keep looking at Jesus. And I guarantee you, Satan cannot condemn you over Jesus. You will not feel condemned with your attention focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. But most Christians are constantly looking at self. Most Christians are constantly summing up, am I holy, am I righteous enough? And there's some of you right here, as you're listening to me say this, that you're just, your brain's going tilts. You say, but this can't be. I, I've spent my whole life trying to clean up myself and get to a place where I'm holy enough and good enough. And this is just, I mean, it's such a drastic change for you. It scares you to think about this. Some of you are thinking, what's going to keep me living holy? What's going to keep me from just totally living in sin if I get to just thinking about that I'm righteous and clean in the sight of God through what Jesus has done? Did you know if you could ever understand grace, it would transform your life? The Bible says in uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 12, I won't take time to turn there because I'm going to continue reading here, all right? But in Titus 2, 12, it says, The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto every man, teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts, that we should live soberly, righteously, and justly in this present world. The grace of God teaches you to be holy, but it teaches you to be holy for a different motivation. It's not so that God can accept you, but you recognize that if you live in sin, Romans chapter 6, you should be close. Look at Romans chapter 6, verse 16. He says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. This is the reason that you live holy. It's not that God is going to get you if you don't live holy. It's not that God is going to reject you or turn from you. But if you live in sin, Satan is going to come take advantage of you because of that sin. Sin is an inroad. It's an open invitation to Satan to come get me. Amen. Satan, destroy me. Satan, do whatever you want to in my life. So sin, it's important that you turn from sin, but why? So that God will love you? No, God loves you regardless of what you've done. If God only loved those who were worth loving, did you know that there's not a one of us that would be loved? 
And somebody may disagree and say, now wait a minute, brother, you don't know me. I've really cleaned up my act. Well, you would have to start comparing yourself with me or with somebody else. You can't compare yourself with Jesus, God's standard, and come out okay. Amen. We have to start comparing ourselves among ourselves. When you look at God's perfect standard, which was Jesus, all of us have sinned and come short of it. And if God is going to move in your life, love you, accept you, have a relationship with you based on your performance, then there's not a one of us in here that has a chance. Not a one of us. You know what I'm telling you now? That's good news. Because it takes the pressure off of you. All the pressure's on Jesus. He lived totally for us, and all we've got to do is accept Him. And when you accept Him, then that grace that you've accepted, it will teach you to live righteously, soberly, and justly in this present life. Did you know I live a holy life? And I do think, like I said, I read the Bible, but I don't do it because I have to read the Bible to have God accept me or love me. I recognize the benefit of reading the Word. It cleanses out all of the junk that Satan puts in my life. It helps me renew my mind. It doesn't make God love me, but it makes me love God. Did you know I pray and I spend time in prayer, but I don't do it because God demands it. God is not keeping record of my prayer and how much time I spend in prayer. But I pray because it helps me. It puts me into the presence of God. And as I'm in His presence, I'll be changed into that same image from glory unto glory is what it says in 2 Corinthians 4.18. So I pray. So I study the Word. So I do these things. I do it because it changes me. Did you know God isn't upset with you if you never come to church again? You don't ever have to come to church for God's benefit. But you need to come to church for your benefit. Because there is a power that's released when two or three are gathered together. There's a special anointing here. You'll feel and experience the presence of God that will make positive impact on your life. You come to church, you get agreement, and I tell you, things will happen. that We don't need to be standing by ourselves, out fighting the devil and on our own. We need the agreement of other brothers and sisters. You should be coming to church, but it is not for the purpose of making uh, God love you or feeling acceptance with God. It's for renewing your mind. It doesn't change God. Holiness doesn't change God. Holiness changes you. What have you got to offer God? How much holiness have you got to offer God? Did you know a person who feels like they've got to be holy and they offer this to God and God, now will you use me? Did you know that that is the greatest sin of all? Because instead of going through a Savior, they're going through their own righteousness, through their own goodness. They're pointing to themselves, in effect, saying, oh, I don't need Jesus. Now, you'd never say that, but did you know in practice that's the way most people live? Most people are actually approaching God on the basis of what they've done instead of a Savior. And if we've got a Savior, then it shouldn't be on the basis of what you've done. It ought to be on the basis of what Jesus has done for us. Amen? Brothers and sisters, this ought to be the first foundational truth in a Christian's life. And yet, did you know that there's many Christians that have been around 30, 40, 50 years who are so totally caught up into their own actions, trusting in their own selves, my wife and I, the very first church that we pastored, had a woman who was 90 years old, went to an Assembly of God church. And this woman was a nice lady. I mean, we, we really enjoyed her, went over and spent some time with her. And we were with her on her 90th birthday. And did you know on her 90th birthday, she had, I guess it was a heart attack or something, we rushed her to the hospital. We prayed for her, but she wanted to go to the hospital. And we rushed her to the hospital, spent time with her. And did you know that that woman, she died a few days later. We were with her nearly constantly. And this woman, 90 years old, been born again since she was a child. You know what she constantly was crying out? 
Oh, God, heal me. And we'd, we'd say, but Myrtle, God has already healed you. It's already in his word. All you got to do is believe and receive. And she says, oh, Lord, I pray that I'm good enough. Oh, God, remember, I've gone to church. I've paid my tithes. She enumerated to God all of the things that she'd done. And I said, look, it doesn't matter what you've done. It's a gift. All you got to do is believe and receive. That woman constantly, nearly in a state of delirium, was reciting all that she had done for God. And she was so strong in it that, you know, it's not my business, I'm not the judge, but I honestly question whether that woman was ever born again, having been in a church since she was like eight or nine years old, but she did not know the first thing, how to trust Jesus and receive anything because of what he was done. She was constantly referring to all of her goodness that she had maintained in the sight of God. Brothers and sisters, most of the church is in that category. And that is not the gospel. And that's the reason that Satan has beaten us. The weak link in the chain is the fact that we have been laboring under a sin consciousness, under an awareness of sin. We have not understood that the gospel frees us from the guilt and penalty attached to grievous sin. And we've been going around feeling separated from God. And brothers and sisters, it's not so. It's not so. God has redeemed us and set us free. Man, there's so much good stuff on this. Let's go back to Romans chapter 9, verse 32. He says, why? Why did these people that weren't seeking righteousness obtain it, and those who were seeking it didn't obtain it? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it was by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. And then he refers back to an Old Testament scripture that refers to Jesus. Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Did you know the thing that is the offense of the gospel? Paul mentioned it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's the cross of Christ. Now to us, that doesn't mean much. We've spiritualized things. We've got religious cliches, and people wear a cross around their neck and things like this, and the cross to them means all kinds of things. But what it's basically talking about is a substitutionary uh, ministry of a Savior. The thing that sets Christianity apart and will cause offense every single time is when you start teaching justification, relationship with God, not through what you do, but through what Jesus did. Jesus died for your sins. Jesus obtained it all. That's the thing that offends people. You know, the 18th chapter of the book of Acts, when Paul was in... Uh, I think it's the 18th chapter, could be the 17th, but anyway, right around there when Paul was in Athens and he was speaking to all of these philosophers, did you know they took him to the Acropolis and they started uh, drilling him over what he believed and they listened to him. He discounted polytheism where they had different gods. He proved through quoting their own pro uh, poets and everything that it was ridiculous to believe that God was like an animal or like a bird. Did you know that all of these intellectuals listened to him? They didn't interrupt. They never disagreed with him until he got to the resurrection of Jesus and then it blew up. Have you ever thought about that? He was arguing against their religion. They believed in many, many gods. They had thousands of gods. They listened to him. Did you know that they let him talk about a one true God? They let him talk about all kinds of things, but the thing that they blew up and they refused to listen any further was when they got to the resurrection of Jesus. You know why? Because, see, that brought it out of the realm of theory. He no longer was just proclaiming morality or goodness. They believed that there was a God, and it really didn't matter whether there was one God or thousands of gods. People will agree on that point. 
People will even discuss that, yes, there needs, you need to be good. Yes, you need to do what's right. Did you know every major religion of the world holds that same tenet? They have standards of morality, and they conform very closely to the Ten Commandments. But the thing that will upset people, the thing that upsets the devil, the thing that sets Christianity apart is that instead of you earning relationship with God, Jesus earned it for you, and you just have to receive it as a gift by faith. You don't earn it. There's nothing you can do for it. That's the offense of the cross. That's what upset the Jews. Amen? Did you know that that'll upset religion today? I praise God for this church, man. Oh, Gary's letting me preach these things. I hadn't been stoned yet. <laughs> but I've been run out of town. I've been kicked off the radio for preaching these exact same things. Did you know if you really preach the gospel today, the gospel is as offensive today as it ever was? Religion, Christianity form of religion doesn't like the gospel because it, man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. Man will always deal with the outer thing. We know that we're supposed to be serving God. We know that we're supposed to be seeking God. So you'll find that when man is in charge, man will tell you, if you want to serve God, if you want to get right with God, do this. Do the, It'll all deal with externals. Doesn't matter what your heart's like. Just get your hair the same length as my hair. Get your dress the same length as my wife's dress. Look bleached out. Don't put on makeup. Do this. All externals. You get the external right, and they believe that the inside will automatically be clean. Jesus came along preaching just the opposite. Get the inside clean, and don't worry about the outside. It'll automatically take care of itself. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If I can ever get you to understand the goodness and the grace of God and to receive it by faith and to believe that you are forgiven and clean in the sight of God, you'll wind up living holier than you ever thought about being before. If I have to preach to you and tell you, man, go out here and lead somebody to the Lord, go out here and tell somebody about what God's done for you, and if I have to hammer that at you and tell you about your obligation, then brothers and sisters, you've got a serious problem on the inside. There's two ways to motivate people to be evangelistic. One of them is to tell you your duty and give you stories about someday you're going to stand before God and your neighbor's going to look at you. And as he's drug off to hell and right before he falls over the brink into the pit, he says, why didn't you tell me about Jesus? And you're going to have blood on your hands. And those kind of stories will motivate you. But you know what that motivated you to do? Is it God's kind of love for these people? No, it's just total selfishness. You know why most people witness? Out of total selfishness, love for themselves. You don't give a rip about anybody else. What you're thinking about is, will there be any stars, any stars in my crown when at evening, when at last I lay down? Must we go and empty-handed? Must we meet our Savior's soul? Not one soul with which to greet him. Must we empty-handed go? You know why that upsets you? Because, man, you can see yourself suffering loss. So we go out and witness to people, not with God's kind of love, not with the kind of love that Jesus had where he literally laid down his life for another person, but we go out and witness to them so that we can get credit. We want to make sure everybody sees us, everybody knows what we've done. It's self-love. And then we wonder why our witness is ineffective. The Bible says, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you have love one for another. You know, another way to motivate people to witness is to tell you and tell you and tell you until it finally sinks in that God Almighty loves you. 
If you ever get a glimpse of your redemption, if you ever get the slightest understanding about what God really redeemed you from, you'll become so overwhelmed with it that you'll go out and tell everybody why. Because you love yourself. You won't even care whether anybody knows that you're doing it, whether you get any credit or not. You'll love those people. You'll have a heart for people that don't know the joyful, the joyful sound, that haven't heard the gospel yet. You'll want to share with them. Have you ever seen a little kid that gets a brand new bike for Christmas and the dad says, now you, I'm going to sit down, sit you down and tell you how exactly how much this bike costs. You go out and make sure every one of your friends on the block knows how much this bike costs. You make sure that they know that it's better than their bike. You make sure you tell everybody how great your dad is for giving you this. You don't have to do that because little kids really appreciate it. I mean, they're excited about what they've got. They'll go out and blab everything. Instead, you have to sit them down and tell them that don't try and make your friends feel bad because you got a brand new bike and they don't. You have to give them wisdom. Did you know if you ever understood what your father's given you, nobody will ever have to prime you to go out and witness. If you don't have a desire to witness to other people, you don't have a revelation of what you've got. It is inconceivable that a person understands redemptions and understands what Jesus has done for us and has no desire to share with another person the good news. You don't have a revelation of what God's given you. So there's two ways to approach it. Either you can condemn them and you can get action. And if you are operating not from the spirit but from the soulish man looking on the outward appearance, then that'll satisfy you. You can write it down on your statistics. You can send it in to headquarters. You can get a plaque for being the most evangelistic and doing all of this kind of stuff. Or you can just let people fall in love with Jesus. And did you know when that happens, you'll get all of those same actions and even more. Love is a greater motivation than fear. And yet most Christians are serving God motivated out of fear. Fear that I'm going to be rejected by God if I don't do these things. And instead, it ought to be, Father, thank you that you, your redemption is so complete that even though I'm not what I'm supposed to be, even though I may not be in the future what I'm supposed to be, praise God for Jesus that I've got a Savior. If you could love him and accept that and get a revelation of it, I guarantee you it would cause you to live holier than you've ever thought about being before. And then you'd serve God. It would be a byproduct instead of the goal. Holiness would be a fruit, not a root of salvation. Holiness is important. I hope nobody's misunderstood me. I hadn't got time to balance everything. That's the reason you got pastors, amen. I dropped the bomb and he'll straighten all this out when I leave. Holiness is important, but it should not be the focal point of your life. Trying to overcome sin is important, but it should not be the focal point of your life. It ought to be all Jesus. It ought to be looking unto a Savior, understanding the grace of God. And as you pursue that, then you'll turn from other things that hinder you and keep you from obtaining that goal. But brothers and sisters, most people are focused on sin, not on Jesus, the author and the finisher of their faith. You know, it's like when you run a race. The Bible uses that example in the 12th chapter of the book of Hebrews. One of the things I learned, the little bit of track that I ran when I was in high school is that you don't turn around and see where your opponents are all of the time. Every time you turn around, you lose a step in the race. You don't do that. You look at that finish line, and man, you don't look, you aren't distracted, you don't do anything else. You look at Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. We haven't had our goal on Jesus. We haven't had it on relationship with him. We haven't had it on what Jesus has done for us. We've had our attention on what we must do for him. And because of it, we're missing out. 
Well, I really wanted to get into Romans chapter 10. That's where I was headed, and I didn't get to read those scriptures. Maybe we will tomorrow night. But boy, it's powerful. Brothers and sisters, we haven't even begun to understand the depths of the gospel. Many of us are lacking the power to obtain what we know is rightfully ours, but the power is missing because we don't have a real revelation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're laboring under our own effort. We're striving to please God instead of thanking God that we are pleasing to God through what Jesus has done for us. There's some of you today that really desire a closer relationship with the Lord than what you're experiencing. And the key to it is instead of trying to say, oh God, what do I have to do to obtain this? Is to start praising God that through Jesus you've already got it. Start thanking him and just obtain it. Just walk in it and praise him. You're keeping yourself out of the intimate relationship with God. It's not God that's keeping you out of it. You're keeping yourself out of it. You don't feel worthy to enter into that place. You know, I deal with a lot of people, and I don't know how to verbalize all this. Gary's a lot better in dealing with uh, terminology, psychology, and stuff like that than I am. But I know that dealing with people, I don't know the words for this, but there are some people who are so desirous of relationship, you can tell that they really desire relationship, and their own fears about it actually make them so offensive to people that nobody likes them. Anybody understand what I'm talking about? And they, they actually turn people off with that kind of attitude. And they keep, it's them that's keeping people at arm's length. They're so afraid that somebody's going to reject them that they wind up rejecting the relationship themselves. They just know it's not going to work. They got such a negative outlook on the thing. They wind up destroying the situation themselves. There's people that, you know, I'd love to accept. I'd love to minister acceptance to them, and they won't receive it. It's not me rejecting them. It's them rejecting me, but in their mind, it's always me that's rejected them, but it's, it's really not that way. Did you know religion makes us that way with God? Religion has gotten us so conditioned that God's holy and that, bless God, we're so unholy that until we reach up to his standard, until we measure up to what he wants, how could we expect to be in fellowship with God? That's hypocrisy. And man, we felt so unworthy. And did you know it's just the opposite? It's not us reaching up to his standard. He came down to ours. Jesus became a man, humbled himself, and became like us, and then lifted us up through the resurrection up into the heavenly places to where we have communion. We are reconciled, friendly, once again with God. But if you don't have that attitude, we're stopping our own relationship with God. It's not God that's rejecting us. We are rejecting our own relationship with God because of a guilt and a condemnation that's held to us because we don't understand the gospel. And the gospel is the power of God. We've got a lot to rejoice about, brothers and sisters. If we could go back and just begin to appreciate and think about what God has done for us and praise Him for it. And every time you see sin in your life, every time you see sorriness in your life, run to God and thank God for a Savior. Instead of belly aching about how sorry you are, praise Him for how good He is. Amen? And you know God's not going to fall off his throne if you sin. <laughs> One last illustration, I'll quit. But my sister, she's a, she lives in uh, Midland, Texas. She loves the Lord. She's been used of God. She's matured in the Lord in a lot of ways. 
But anyway, she has a daughter that's super rebellious. And when this daughter was still living at home, she's since then been married a couple of times, got kids that she doesn't even know where they are, doesn't care where they are, etc. And this, this daughter is really rebellious. But my sister had just a running battle with her while she was at home. And she was fixing uh, supper one night for her husband. And her husband was bringing, he was a professor at the university, and he was bringing his boss home for supper. So my sister was getting supper ready and she had a fight with her daughter and her daughter just ticked her off and my sister hauled off and decked her boy <laughs> knocked her flat of her back and she knew that was wrong and so she just couldn't handle it she ran upstairs she fell on the bed and she started to cry and she just cried out to the Lord and she said oh God help me if I ever start crying I won't come out of here until tomorrow morning I've got my husband coming home, bringing his boss. I've got to fix supper. What am I going to do? And she said, oh, God, speak to me. And you know what the Lord spoke to her? Real simple. He said, he said Joyce, he said, this really upsets you because you think it's something new between you and me. And he says, when, I, when you got born again at eight years old, I knew you would do this, and I've already dealt with it. It was also put under the blood when you got born again. It's already taken care of, and I just want you to know that it hadn't bothered me. Now, did that make her want to go down and just, man, praise God, it's no problem to God, so she just decks her daughter again, amen? <laughs> no, that's not what she did. It didn't make her want to go sin again. Matter of fact, it strengthened her to overcome that lust and that temptation to react that way. But what it did, it took her out from under that guilt and that penalty attached to it. That's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 6. It says, sin, verse 14, sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. If sin is having dominion over you, when you sin, if it seems like, man, it just takes you weeks to get back into God's grace, it's because you aren't under grace, but you're operating under law, under a performance that you've got to earn things from God. It'll set you free when you understand how good God is and that God not only forgave you of past sins, but he forgave you of your present and even future tense sins have been forgiven. If God can't forgive you of future tense sins, then you didn't get born again because Jesus died nearly 2,000 years ago before you'd committed any. If Jesus didn't pay for your sins in advance, then your sins didn't get paid for. Past, present, and future tense sins were paid for through the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean that you can go live in sin because Satan will take advantage of them. And you need to be quick to repent and turn from it. But brothers and sisters, sin has been broken over the believer. God loves you. Amen. And if you can accept it, that freedom will set you free from sin, not free to sin. Amen. Amen. Well, that's good news. And that gives every last person here something to praise God for. Regardless of what you're like, Jesus is a Savior, and He's constant in every person's life. Amen? Let's stand up and pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you, Father, for Jesus. And Father, I'm asking you that you'd give all of us an ability to really grasp and understand what the gospel is. Father, give us an understanding of what Jesus really did for us. Father, help us to see the height, the depth, the length, and the breadth of our redemption, of our salvation, how we've been saved not only from sin, but from ourselves, from all of our failures. Father, give us revelation of that. People that have been laboring under this, people who are seeking you and love you, and yet they aren't experiencing your love back because of their own religious concepts. 
I'm asking you tonight, Father, that the Word of God had set us free. And Father, I'm confident that as we begin to experience that love, as people just by faith begin to reach out and receive it, not based on what they've done, but on a Savior. Father, I'm confident that that love that they experience will cause them to turn and resist and overcome sin better than they ever did before on their own. Father, I believe it'll destroy the works of the devil in our life as we allow the Spirit of God to begin to flow through us and love us. Father, I'm asking you for that revelation to flow. Father, we agree. We receive that tonight in the name of Jesus. Praise you, Father. Oh, the Lord is speaking to me tonight. There's some of you here that have been struggling. You are weary. You've been ready to faint, give up in your mind. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our profession. Consider him, lest you be wearied and faint in your mind. The reason that you've been weary is because you've been looking at yourself and you've been trying so hard instead of just praising God for what's already yours in Christ Jesus. There's some of you here tonight that this is a real revelation to, and the Lord is just speaking through me and telling you right now that He wants this to become a revelation in your life. If you will open up your heart tonight, God is going to expand on this truth and make this a revelation that will transform your life. Praise the Lord. Oh, that's going to set some of you free tonight. Father, we thank you. We agree together. We receive it. There's somebody here that you've tried so hard. You've even had a revelation of what I'm talking about. And you've tried so hard to share it with other people and to do things, and yet there's been things along the way that makes it look like you're a failure. And you've tried to overcome that, and right now you are just overwhelmed with the feeling that you fail God in these areas. And the Lord is just coming to you tonight through this message and He's telling you that He still loves you, that it hadn't changed God's attitude towards you any at all. You need to be able to forget those things that are behind and just look unto Jesus, the author and the high priest of your profession. You need to look unto Him and just get an attitude just as if you'd never sinned, justified. And as you receive that by faith, you'll have peace with God. God's taken away all of that hurt. Well, some of you in here have been hurt by failures and things in your life. God's just ministering a healing to you right now, putting you back to a virgin territory to where it's like those things haven't happened. Praise you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. There's some of you in here that have cried out to God many, many times for forgiveness. And God is saying through me that He's forgiven you, but you won't forgive yourself. You will not let go of those things and believe that they are over with. And the Lord's directing some of you right now that He's forgiven you. Now forgive yourself. Let go of those things. Let, even though you were guilty, even though you failed, let go of that and let the cleansing power of God just flow right now and set you free. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise you, Father. Boy, the Lord is setting many people free through this word tonight. If you'll just receive it, God is setting you free. Some of you made bad decisions in business and stuff, and you just feel like, well, man, it's justice. I'm getting what I deserve. I was so stupid. How could I have done this? The Lord's telling you that you don't have to get what you deserve. You don't have to get justice. 
If you'll humble yourself and just say, Father, I know I failed, but praise God for Jesus. I receive by faith you intervening in this. God will pull you out of those situations. Even though you don't deserve it, He'll do it just out of mercy, out of grace, if you'll receive it. Thank you, Father. There's some of you tonight that are receiving healings as you begin to let go of trying to obtain that healing through being good enough and working and doing all of these things, and now you've been brought back just to a place of putting faith in Jesus, that it was by His stripes that you're healed, not by your own goodness and works. There's some of you that are receiving healings tonight as you open up and receive this. Father, we release that healing virtue in here. We speak that in the name of Jesus, that healings are coming to people's body as they get their attention on Jesus and all for themselves. Satan, we bind you. We bind your guilt, your condemnation that hinders people. And we command these feelings to let go now in the name of the Lord Jesus. We look unto Jesus. We expect to get healed through, he, through who he is, not through who we are. Father, we thank you. We receive these healings tonight in here in the name of the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Somebody here has been having a problem that when you sleep, you wake up and you hurt severely and it takes time to work that out. God's ministering a healing to you right now. Praise God. That's going to be over with. If you'll just receive it by grace, God's ministering a healing to you right now. You're being healed of that in the name of the Lord Jesus. Praise God. There's some of you that it's just totally demonic what's, what's happening in your life. It's Satan fighting against you. And you've been asking God, you've been going to the one who you know has power over these things, but you haven't really understood and believed that God has already granted you your answer. And you haven't with boldness stood your ground in authority and spoken to those demonic things that are coming against you because you haven't felt that union and with God. Tonight the Word of God has set you free and right now you need to direct that faith and you need to speak in authority directly to the devil that has come to steal, kill, and destroy. It's Satan that's come to rip you off. God's not the source of your problems. Right now you need to put yourself in agreement and just agree with this. Father, we stand right now believing that it's your will for our prosperity, spirit, soul, and body, health, finances, relationships, all of these kind of things. We believe that you've already purchased that and that, Father, it's not you holding back your deliverance. It's us that's held it back by not believing. Father, right now, we thank you for Jesus and believe that through Jesus we're just as if we'd never sinned, that through Jesus we have peace and relationship with you. And right now, Father, we draw on that relationship and we speak against you, Satan. We speak against these things that you're doing to destroy people's lives. We break your hold and dominion over them. Command you to loose people in all of these areas. Command finances to come in the name of Jesus. We bind poverty. We bind the devil that's bringing lawsuits and all these kind of things to steal. Father, we speak that those things will come to naught. And Father, all that the devil's crowd, that they just enter into confusion, Father, that even at, as it babble, that you confuse their languages. I thank you that all of Satan's devices fail and that they just won't prosper. Father, we speak blessings over your people that we are blessed. Whatever we set our hand unto is blessed in the name of the Lord Jesus. And Satan, you're a liar. We bind you and believe that you are drying up and dying in each one of these circumstances here tonight. Father, we thank you. We agree together and we receive that in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus. Praise you, Father. Father, we thank you for that and receive it in Jesus' name. Let me ask tonight if there's anybody here who's never been born again. You don't know Jesus Christ personally. You may have known about him, 
But tonight it's become clear that you've been trusting in your church attendance or in your morality, but you've never really trusted in a Savior. In that sense, you were just like some other religion. You were trying to do good enough so that you could be accepted with God. And tonight you recognize that you need a Savior. The Bible says that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you can be born again. It's exactly that simple. He's paid it all, and all he asks on your part is that you believe and receive him as the Lord of your life. Is there anybody here tonight that would raise your hand and say, that's me, I don't think I'm born again, I'd like to make Jesus Christ Lord of my life. If that's you, I'd like for you to raise your hand. We'll pray with you and you can be born again. Anybody? Anybody, don't be embarrassed. We hope that your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. Remember, Andrew Womack Ministries operates a helpline that you can call for prayer and information at 719-635-1111. We have a ministry website at www.awmi.net and you can write the ministry at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you will reach out by faith and receive everything that is yours through God's grace.